Yeah, we boys don't always communicate properly to our fathers. I don't know why that's so hard, but it seems to be. Well, I thank you. Bob is on vacation, and I really appreciate Susan for filling in in his absence, and and thank you all for your good congregational response. I tell you what, we have a great congregational choir. I'll be in chapter 21 on conviction and compromise. Now, I just want to ask you, and not only those of you that are here present, but those of you that have joined us online. When you have felt the Lord calling you to do something, maybe it's very extraordinary. It's out of the norm for you. Maybe it's really out of your comfort zone, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, I see this oftentimes when we're asking people to go on a mission trip and somebody just really that you would least expect it comes up to me and says, I, th- I think God's calling me to go on this mission trip. What is the response of your family and friends to you? How do you deal with that in that conviction that God is calling you to do something special, unique, Well, the Apostle Paul had to deal with this, and he had to deal with it very uh, profoundly, if you will. We're going to pick him up. Verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and the sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owners of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Well, conviction. The Apostle Paul had a difficult time in his own life uh, trying to help the people, the new believers, as well as the, the more mature believers, to understand that God has called him to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It was a, an experience that he had recently as he had talked to the elders, those church leaders at the church at Ephesus. And as he was talking to them, he said in Acts 20, verses 22 and 23, to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. You see, Paul prayed with the people there at Ephesus, who had come down from Ephesus. And the Bible tells us at the end of that chapter when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And verse, chapter 21 starts out with the phrase, after we had torn ourselves away from them. And whatever translation you're reading, the Greek says it this way. It is the same, it's the same word in the Greek that is used of a sword being torn from its scabbard. It is, the, it is that word It literally means to tear away from, to rend. Uh, it is that word that, that shows that kind of a, a dramatic, immediate departure. And so this wasn't just Paul waving at him and saying goodbye when he had to tear himself away. It was a heart-rending experience for him. Now, the people loved him. No question about it. And they said what really upset them was the fact that Paul had said, when I go to Jerusalem, I will never see you again. He knew what God had for him. After all, in his conversion experience, when God sent Ananias there uh, to Damascus to talk to Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, he said, the Lord is going to reveal to you the many times that you would be tried, the many times that you would be in torment because of, of your faith. Well, they set out to see. You see, what I have come to understand in my life over the years is that my convictions are not always the same as other people's convictions. And my convictions for my life are not always the same as those, even those who are family or friends or intimate companions. My definition of the will of God isn't always what other people's define for my life. And that's true in your life as well. And one thing I love about missionaries, and we have a number of retired missionaries in this congregation and pastors and ministers that when it is announced, when you announce it to your family and friends, that you feel strongly God leading you into the mission field, you're not going to have the same conviction from your family and friends that you do on the most part. I mean, I have seen, I have been, been in commissioning ceremonies with missionaries whose parents are out there weeping. They're not weeping for joy. They're weeping because they're gonna, not going to see their son, their daughter, their in-laws. They're not going to see their grandchildren for a period of time. And really, it becomes a heart-rending type of experience for that young couple or that individual. I've seen it happen with mission trips when people tell their parents, I think I want to go with the pastor and his, his team to this particular area. And they are met with for whatever reason, any amount of resistance from family and friends. Are you crazy? Do you know what's going on over there? Do you have any idea what you'll be doing, where you'll be staying? Do you know that there's a crime element over there? Do you know that when you go into downtown Tampa, there's a crime element? So your convictions are not always the same as somebody else's convictions for you or for themselves. We, we look even further when they come to Tyre. We saw that the disciples there stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see a clarification here. 
They're not saying the Holy Spirit is telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They have just been revealed by the Holy Spirit as to what's going to happen to him when he does go. Paul, you've got to understand his background. He was born and raised in that culture in Jerusalem. He was trained in the finest rabbinic schools. He was the one that was given the commission by the Sanhedrin to go and persecute those who were Christ's followers. They had that much confidence in him. And then as young Rabbi Saul turned his life over to become Paul the Apostle, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the reaction was amazingly strong to him. He experienced it in Jerusalem already. He knew that would be what would be awaiting him there. And there as he is in Tyre, there the, there the believers were trying to convince him not to go. And then he continues on his voyage from Tyre. And as he lands at Ptolemais, and there he was greeted by the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, they reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist. You remember Philip? Philip was one of the seven uh, deacons who were chosen, selected to serve the church. He was very close with Stephen, the one that the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, who had directed his stoning. Philip was the one that when the uh, he was in the Samaritan villages and an outbreak of the Holy Spirit just flooded that particular area and Philip was the evangelist that was a part of it. Peter was sent down there to check it out. He said, it's good. It's good. This was the same Philip that went, with the, that went to the uh, chariot side of the Ethiopian eunuch and led him to the Lord. Man, this guy knows the Lord and yet he is receiving Paul, who had stoned or had consented to the stoning of Stephen. And he welcomed him into his house. And there was a prophet named Agabus. We, we ran into Agabus a few chapters ago. Actually, chronologically, it was about 15 years earlier, where he prophesied about the drought that would hit the Roman Empire. And as the Apostle Paul heard that, he began to take up offerings among the non-Jewish churches, the Christian churches, to take to the church in Jerusalem. And he had that money with him to give to, that, to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. But here comes Agabus, prophesying in a way that Old Testament prophets often did, in a visual prophecy. He, he came down, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. He is not saying the Holy Spirit is saying don't go to Jerusalem. He is simply saying this is what's going to happen to you there. And then Luke, the writer of Acts, says, When we heard this, we and the people, all the entourage that was traveling with Paul at that particular time, said, Whatever you do, don't go to Jerusalem. Did you not see that illustration, Paul? That's pretty profound. Look at him. He's sitting there with his hands and feet tied with your belt. What greater image do you need? I mean... We've tried to tell you, you've seen our tears, you've heard our words. Now look at this visual image. That's you in Jerusalem, Paul. And Paul answered, 
Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. You ever had that experience with your, with your family and friends? Man, well, he's crazy. Let him go. What else can we do but just pray for him? She is, uh, we, we have talked to uh, single young ladies, Mary Jo and I have, who have been on the mission field. And it's not an easy thing to tear a young lady away from her family. And especially the, as evil as the world is today, to send them away on a mission field with people that you don't know. But such as it is. You know, I like the response of one mother whose son and family were serving Jesus halfway around the world. And somebody said, doesn't this bother you? Doesn't it upset you that your son is so far away? Her response was, I would rather my son be halfway around the world in the will of God than living next door to me out of the will of God. Sometimes your conviction is not always shared by your family and friends. What, what do you do when godly people speak in opposite direction in your life? You confide in them, you share with them, you tell them what you feel the Lord is calling you to do, and yet they try to dissuade you like they did with the Apostle Paul. Paul's friends loved him, and they wanted to protect him. The difference in this relationship is Paul's friends loved Paul. Paul loved Jesus and was willing to do whatever it took to serve him in whatever capacity that he so desired. And if it required his life, so be it. Well, that's Paul. That's why the Lord worked so many wonderful things in his life. Well, there was a, another time in Luke 9 where we see where Jesus had already told the disciples that he would ultimately go to Jerusalem. There he would be turned over. He would be mocked and crucified and die there. But he would rise again. Amen. But the Bible says in Luke 9 that he set his face toward Jerusalem. That's a great image about getting that chest and that jaw out and just walking in front of the disciples and I'm sure behind him the whole way up through Jericho and up into Jerusalem they were probably saying is he crazy? They're going to kill him. That's what they'll do. They'll abuse him and, and they'll kill him. We know what it's like up there. Safety and comfort were not Paul's concern just like they were not Jesus' concern. Then we see in verse 13 where Paul said they were breaking his heart. They, they literally, that word in the Greek means to crush together. They, they were trying to crush his spirit or crush his guidance from the Lord. And he would have nothing of it. Their tears were making it harder to follow Jesus. You know what I think some of is, not only with the Apostle Paul, but with you and I, when we come to that decision that we really feel God calling us to do some particular thing. I often believe that people cannot encourage a believer to go or do what they are not willing to do themselves. You know? If you hear them in the background, if you hear their, their aside comments, well, I wouldn't do that. Are they crazy? 
Why would anybody do that? Why would you go on a, a mission trip and do that? Why would you talk to that person who has been so belligerent to the Lord Jesus Christ? I wouldn't do it. And if you wouldn't do it, you're certainly not going to encourage somebody else to do it. Because where does that put you? What if they're successful and God called you to do it too? Mm -hmm. Well, when Paul would not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Let him go. You know how he is. Let him go. So there is that conviction. If you're here today, if you're listening to this message and you feel God has called you to a specific task, to a specific purpose, to a specific field of ministry, to a specific place of ministry, to a person, to an individual, to a culture, whatever, don't ever be dissuaded by human voices. If God has truly called you, find those, those godly people that you really trust to listen to the Lord, to hear His Word, to, to run it through the scriptural admonitions and allow them to give you that encouragement. Well, there's not only conviction, but there's going to come up that opportunity to compromise. Maybe just compromise. We see, we pick him up here. As he arrives in Jerusalem in verse 17, the Bible says the brothers and sisters received us warmly. These are followers of Christ, brothers and sisters. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. That's the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul is a humble guy. He's not talking about what Paul did. I mean, if it were, if it were Paul today, he'd have that newsletter out there immediately. Man. They have said they've seen where many thousands of Jews, some have estimated as many as 50,000 Jews had come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in that day. Thousands of Jews had turned their lives and hearts over to Jesus Christ in addition to the non-Jews. Wow. But what Paul did, he reported, the Bible says, in detail what God had done, not what Paul had done. When you report to somebody about your mission, your ministry, or whatever the case might be, you report what God has done. Because you and I don't do anything but become obedient. God has not called us to be fruitful. He's called us to be faithful. The fruit that we bear is the fruit that God bears through us. It's not us. It's not because of our preaching or our teaching or our ability or our good looks or our singing ability or anything else. It's all about God and His ability to move in and through our lives. It's His fruit that's being born. Amen. You become faithful, God will be fruitful through you. Amen. Be fruitful. But always give God the glory. Don't ever, ever stand in His glory. They loved His success. Oh, they, they heard this. They praised God. Verse 20. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous. For the law, they said. This is where compromise comes in. You see, they loved his successes, but they became agitated that their customs were being questioned or abandoned. You'll have that in your own church sometimes. 
Oh, man, we, we, we love the fact that people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but, but could you tell them to behave this way? What, could, they, could they not just understand the way that the church does things and, and behave in, in accordance with our bylaws and church regulations? You'll be pressed to a compromise by people that you love and respect. They wanted to save Paul. Paul wanted to save the world. Now, that's a big difference. So you see here in this compromise, what they wanted him to do, this was Pentecost. Paul specifically wanted to be here at Pentecost because he knew that there would be Jews from all over the world coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast. And he wanted to be there. Now, the, the Christian church leaders were concerned because Paul had a reputation. He literally had a death warrant that had been sent out through the entire region that he served around the Mediterranean. And they knew it. And all of these who were uh, dedicated Jewish believers in the Jewish faith who were not believers and who were upset with Paul for all the number of people who were being converted to Christianity were going to be on the alert. They were looking for Paul. They heard he was coming. He's there. So the leader said, what, "Just would you compromise with us? Would you, would you do this? Do this for us. Just We've got four guys that are taking the Nazarite vow of dedication. Would you just go with them in the temple? They're going to be there seven days. Be, be very visible and upfront. Let people see that you're in the temple, that you're observing the, the, the Nazarite. You can pay for them. Oh, that's even better. Pay their way. Pay for the sacrifices. Pay for their prayers. Pay for anything else that comes about. Paul said, I'll do that. I'll do that. Now, what the problem that I have with that is that when we compromise, it's never enough. At the very moment that you compromise, other things begin to break down. So, the third thing that I will mention to you is that conspiracy. Because people aren't going to be satisfied with your compromise. When you begin to compromise your faith, somebody says, you say, I really feel God calling me to, to go to this individual or to go to this region and, and talk to them about the Lord. People will say, well, why, why, why are you going there? Why don't you stay home and do that? Okay, maybe I can do that. But you're not being, you're not being obedient. God didn't call you to stay home in that situation. Maybe He called you to go there. If He's called you to do something, do not compromise what God has called you to do. That's the bottom line. Because the people that have asked you to compromise aren't going to be satisfied until you're absolutely doing what they want you to do in the first place. And this is the conspiracy. Look at how it hit Paul. People want to see your ministry and your mission fail. They want to see that they're right. They want to see that the fact that they're not willing to do what God has called you to do is going to be a failure anyway, and that way they can some way feel better about themselves. Boy, I'm glad I didn't do that. Whew. Man, you failed royally at that. They, the Bible says uh, there were rumors, verse 21, they've all been informed that you teach all the Jews to live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. That's the rumors. Paul never taught them to turn away from Moses. He's told them to turn toward Jesus. 
Turn to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Elijah, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then there's those assumptions. Look at verse 29. The, the Bible says that they started shouting, Help us, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides that, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought them, him into the temple. So there's, there's false narratives, there's rumors, there's people that are going to say and do anything they can to bring you down from your ministry, your mission, your faithfulness. And if that doesn't work, what's the next thing they do? Verse 27 says there's going to be physical threats. There's going to be bullying. Verse 27 says simply, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia, they were gathered there for this celebration of Pentecost, saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere. Help us. Arrest this man. Well, you know, I see this account through the conviction, through the compromise, and through the conspiracy. And I think of my own life. Sometimes it reminds me of the young man that I heard that, that was so in love with this girl and wrote her this love letter. And he says to her in her, his note, I will do anything go any place for you, I will swim the broadest ocean, climb the highest mountain, fight the fiercest enemy, all for you. P.S. I'll see you next weekend if the blizzard doesn't block the road. <laughs> and aren't we like that? Oh, we are so committed. Oh, our convictions, we're, we're just like that. And then the Lord says, this is what I want you to do with your life. Well, I'll see what I can do if the blizzard doesn't block the road. I'll do anything you want me to, Lord, but not that. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, Lord, but not there. I'll talk to anybody you want me to talk to, Lord, but not him or her. I mean, I'm totally committed, Lord, but not on those circumstances, under those terms, not me. So my question to you today is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you followed His convictions for you? Do you understand what the Lord is accomplishing in your life today, what He's asking you to do? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the perfect time to open your heart to Him. Wherever you are, in the living room, here in the, in the worship center, wherever you are, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Father, I'm sorry. Make me what you want me to be. And Lord, I want to give you the praise and the glory for every moment that comes from this point forward. Maybe you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never followed him in, in baptism by immersion. That's a matter of obedience. You may have a conviction up to that point, and you say, well, I'm not getting baptized. I've already been baptized as a baby or a child, or I just don't see the purpose of it. 
It's a matter of obedience, people. It's a matter of conviction. It's a matter of when Jesus sent the disciples out. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach this gospel. Teach these people. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. After they've trusted me. Not before. And it's, some of you are looking for a church home. We have a great home here. We got a, good, a great church family. I don't know anywhere I'd rather serve than right here. And so I pray that God's conviction is on your heart toward that end. And at the end of the prayer, I will be here at the front during our invitation to pray with you about whatever decision the Lord is laying on your heart. Would you stand with me now for prayer? Our most gracious Father, we do praise you. We thank you. Be with us today. May we honor you above everything else, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for these decisions that are being made. Be with us today. Help us in our convictions to be resolute. Even though we have family, we have friends, we have people that really are not on the same page we are with you, perhaps. Their convictions about us and you are not the same. So be with us today, Lord. Help us to confirm your will in our lives and thank you. Father, I lift all of these decisions to you. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you join with us as we sing, I surrender all, and I'll be here at the front to pray with you about any decision the Lord is leading you to make.